So, this is a big day for Two Rivers. It's a big day for Phil and Wendy as we both open new chapters in our stories together. Today, after this, we have a congregational meeting where we officially change our relationship, starting down a road to replace the only pastor Two Rivers has ever had, and for Phil and Wendy and their family to start down a path that is new and unknown to them. All right, so such big days are not unprecedented. Churches change pastors, people find new jobs, it happens all the time. But that doesn't take away from the importance of either circumstance. And it doesn't take away from the risk involved in those circumstances as well. The Bible also contains momentous changes in the life of God's people. And two that come to mind are um, one um, that occurred on the verge of Jordan as the Israelites were prepared to enter the promised land. Moses was forbidden by God from entering and leadership of the nation was turned over to Joshua. The second instance is the passage that Mallory just read for us. Jesus was ending his time on earth and was preparing his disciples to pick up his work and to assume leadership. Now, just to be clear, I'm not comparing two rivers to the nation of Israel. And Phil, I'm not comparing you to Moses or Jesus. It's not a good comparison. But there are things we can learn from both of those circumstances and things that can help us. And so that's what I want to do. I want to particularly focus on Jesus' last night with the disciples. What does this passage show us? And how can we use it as we embark on a new journey together? So let's dig in a little bit. First of all, this, these words were spoken to the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed. They were spoken to the disciples in the upper room after the Last Supper and before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. The teaching that night is captured in several chapters of John, and the end of chapter 16 is the end of that teaching. And one might say it's the summation of his teaching that night and indeed the summation of his ministry with his followers. His primary purpose in this summation is not mere knowledge, although it's there and it's there deeply, but his primary purpose is encouragement. So where can we find encouragement in what he says? So as we go through, I first want to look at three challenging uh, circumstances that are identified by Jesus as the result of what is about to happen that night. And the first of those circumstances is the most obvious. Jesus is leaving. Jesus tells them quite plainly that it is time for him to leave and return to the Father. Now I am leaving the world, he said. Now this is not the first time that he's told them that. He made direct predictions about being delivered to the authorities while they were on the road to Jerusalem. He spoke in parables earlier in his ministry. But this may be the most direct time that he told them he was leaving. And so what's interesting about it is he didn't just kind of drop that bomb on them. He put it in a context. He put it in the context of his whole ministry, his whole purpose for being here. So let's look at that. He says, I came from the Father. And that is explaining who he is as the Son of God, as divine. He then says, I have come into the world. That also explains who he is and his nature as a human being. He was made God incarnate and dwelt among us. 
And then he says, now I am leaving the world. And that's him going to the cross on our behalf, dying for our sins. And then finally, he's going to the Father. He ascends to heaven where he will be our advocate and intercessor with God. So if you need to sum up the gospel, here's good 23 words or so that does that. And what's interesting to me, and I'm relying on the sermon Tim Keller gave to point this out, is that he also illustrates his sovereignty in the way he did that. These are things he planned to do. These are not things that happened to him. He didn't just find himself on earth. He didn't just find himself on the cross. He didn't just happen to do these things. I came. I have come. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. But in that message, in that day, at that night, in that time, the urgency and the immediacy is around his leaving. He says, now I am leaving. And so it really doesn't take a lot of explanation to say why this prospect would be such a challenge to the disciples, who really are a group of faithful but often confused men who were prepared to follow Jesus but were totally unprepared to lead. And they really were not known themselves as anything more than having a close association with an itinerant teacher. So, the disciples' reaction to what he told them also shows how unprepared they really were for what he was getting ready to ask them to do. He says, and it is the second challenging circumstance that he identifies that night. He says, not only is he leaving, but they will desert him. You will be scattered and be alone, he says. So when he tells him he's leaving and returning to the fathers, what do the disciples focus on in their response to him? They really just focus on one part of his testimony. He laid out his whole ministry with them, but they focus on his divinity. They say, oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that, all thing, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. He's been with them three years, but they got it now. They believe Now, Jesus didn't often use irony or sarcasm in his speech, but he kind of does here. He says, oh, now you believe. And then he turns it and he says, let me show you how deep your belief is. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. In Mark, it's recorded that Jesus had earlier told them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So again, look at this and notice the immediacy of what he's saying. The hour of the testing of your faith has come. So, what does this tell us about facing uncertain and challenging times? Do you believe in Jesus? Most of you would say yes. The disciples said yes. Yet under difficult circumstances, they scattered. Their profession of faith alone could not carry them through the scary and the difficult circumstances that they faced that very night. And this is a challenge to every one of us as well. So, 
First of all, Jesus tells them he's leaving and they will be facing something that is too much for them to handle. Second, their relationship with him is not deep enough at that time to get them through what they're facing. Are we encouraged yet? His final challenging circumstance comes in the form of a guarantee, a promise, if you will. And his promise is you will have trouble. In the world, you have tribulation in verse 33. This is a statement of fact. It's not a qualified statement that Jesus made. It is the lot of all, of humankind. As Job said, man is born of a woman, his days are few and full of trouble. Phil just preached through Ecclesiastes and talked numerous times about the vanity of life in this world. Now, if you believe in Christ, you're not spared. You will suffer in this world. Paul wrote to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about himself and his fellow evangelist. He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Okay. So while they're not destroyed, don't ignore the trials that they suffered. Afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Jesus told his disciples, and we need to hear it too, Don't expect the world to treat you any better than they treated him just because you follow Jesus. In this world, you will have tribulation. So, in a few words, uh, less than I took, Jesus told the disciples that one, his departure was imminent and that their world was about to change. Two, that their faith would be tested, that they would be scattered And that three, they had a future of troubles to look forward to in their lives. Not to be overly dramatic here, but we're on the cusp of change. That can test our faith. That can test our unity. And then can bring with it possibilities of trouble and trial. Phil and Wendy face the same kind of uncertainty in the path that they're taking. Fortunately... (laughs) Jesus has encouragements and answers for his disciples and for each of us in these challenging circumstances. So let's look at those one by one. First, Jesus said he was leaving. And he also said elsewhere that his leaving is necessary. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 three different times. He says he goes to prepare a place for them and for us in his father's house. He says, if you love me, You should rejoice because I'm returning to the Father. He also says that though he's leaving them, he's not leaving them as orphans. But he even goes further. And he says that it is to their and to our benefit that he leaves. John, I think it's John 15, is that right? He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So elsewhere, he describes the work of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he 
talks with his disciples. He talks to his disciples and he says to them, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So how does that benefit us? One, we have the benefit of that teaching to the disciples. We also have the benefit of those remembrances. And they're contained right here. And we have all that the Spirit taught them and all that he brought them in remembrance. And we benefit from that. The second part of his encouragement is that we now have direct access to God. So Jesus tells the disciples in verses 26 and 27 to ask the Father in his name. He says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So he doesn't need to ask the Father on our behalf anymore. And why is that? Because we are loved by God the Father. He knows us and he loves us. He himself loves us because we abide with Jesus. Even though Jesus is no longer here, we abide with him. God the Father loves you and he himself is waiting to hear from you. And why is this possible? Because Jesus left. Because he left and returned home having done his and the Father's work on our behalf. God no longer needs an intermediary to talk to his children. We, his children, no longer need an intermediary to talk to God. We just need the name of Jesus. So Jesus left, and it was a good thing. The second challenging circumstance he identified to his disciples was that they would be scattered. Each to their own home, they would desert him, and leave him alone. So the encouragement there may be obvious as well. There really is no alone when it comes to Jesus. Not for Jesus and not for us. He is always with us. Now, when the Israelites, I want to go back to that, when the Israelites were on the verge of crossing over into the land and promised them by God, they experienced a profound change in leadership. Moses, their leader appointed by God, and the one to whom God spoke, through whom God rescued them from captivity, performed miracles in their midst, through whom God gave them laws that set them apart from all other peoples, would not go into the land with them. He would not lead them against the formidable inhabitants of that land. It was going to be some new guy. But God said to Moses, and Moses said to the people, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. After Moses died, God commissioned Joshua, the new guy, and told him, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Also, Jesus told the apostles, as he ascended into heaven and completed his ministry here, he said, Behold, I am with you always, 
to the end of the age. So we need to take heart that God is with us in this work, and he is with us in this world. So what is the power of that promise? How really powerful is that promise? And how shocking is that promise? On the cross, Jesus asked, My God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore our sin, God the Father, as we often sing, turned his face away. But God the Father made a promise to us that he didn't make to his own son. And that is, he will not turn his face away from us. And that's just shocking that he would do that for us, that he loves us. We know how much Jesus loved. He died for us. And God loves us enough to never turn his face away from us. He's promised and Jesus has promised never to leave us. He is with us. We sang today, O oh, love that will not let me go. God has promised, Jesus has promised never to leave us. That includes right now, and that includes the months and the years to come. He is with us. And how deep is his love for us? I don't know that I can say, but I can tell you this. It's deeper than any troubles we face. Any deeper than any trouble you face on a personal level. Deeper than any trouble we face as a congregation. That's how deep his love is for us. So, if he's with us in our troubles, what does he promise about that? He told us himself and through his disciples that we'll have trouble and tribulation. So even though he's with us always, he's not taking our troubles away. So what does he give us? He gives us courage and he gives us peace. Jesus starts verse 33 by saying, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It seems kind of odd that Jesus says there are big changes coming. I'm leaving you. You're going to scatter. I guarantee that you're going to face trouble but I give you peace. I don't really understand that, but what Christ does give us is a peace that passes understanding. A peace that offers positive benefit to our souls. A peace that offers harmony, completeness. A peace that offers welfare and tranquility. He gives us shalom peace. He gives us a peace that's not the absence of conflict. That is a promise for us that we will have conflict. He gives us a peace that's not the absence of that, but he gives us the power to overcome our trials through him. He tells the disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's peace and that's courage. We know that he's with us in the two passenger passages that we looked at earlier about the Israelites going into Canaan or up there because the phrase in verse 33 of John 16 that says, take heart, can also be translated, take courage. So, let not, so to kind of mash this together, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Take heart, have courage, for I am with you and I have overcome the world. He's telling them, and he's telling us, the difference between life with Jesus, which the disciples had, 
and life in Jesus. And there's a difference. We can have peace, we can take courage if we find ourselves in him. If we have our identity in Christ and not in the world, it'll never be taken away from us. And we have the power to overcome solely through that identity. We need to remember in the dark what we learned in the light. There is no substitute for Jesus in managing difficult times brought on by change. Be strong and courageous. Jesus is for us, and nothing in this world can overcome him. So, there is direct application to our situation. So I want to look at that real quick. Jesus left. Phil's leaving. It is necessary for Phil to leave this ministry in order to follow God's call on his heart. He'd be disobedient if he didn't. It is necessary in God's plan. This isn't my plan. It's not Phil's plan. It's not our plan. It's God's plan that Phil leave in order for Two Rivers to be the church that God wants it to be. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those that are called according to his purpose. Phil is following God's call. It's up to us to do likewise. The second is that we're not alone. God has promised the Spirit to his children, and we've all experienced, even if we don't realize it, the Spirit's work in our lives, the Spirit's work in our hearts, and the Spirit's work in this congregation, in this place. Phil and Wendy aren't alone. Two Rivers is not alone. God is with us. It's up to us to listen. What is he telling us? And to have the courage to follow. And finally, we will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome all of our future troubles. There are going to be times in the coming months and years when Phil and Wendy are going to doubt, when they're going to be frustrated with the way things are going, when they're going to question their decisions. There are going to be times when you will be frustrated with decisions that are made here, with the way decisions are made. You'll be frustrated with the pace of change. You'll maybe be frustrated with the preacher that fills the pulpit any given Sunday. You may be discouraged when you're tired of having to shoulder responsibility. and You'll be tired of having to share the work. And you're going to wonder if it's worth it. But brothers and sisters, take heart. Be strong and courageous. Don't scatter. The one we serve has overcome all of that and more. The road ahead is going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Phil. It's going to be hard for us. But I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you love us with a love unending and a love that is stronger than anything we're going to face. I thank you for the obedience of Christ in dying for us, and I thank you for these words that he left with us. Let us please, Father, open our hearts to hear you, to let your love direct us, and to be strong and courageous. And so I just put in front of you the needs of this congregation, the needs of Phil and Wendy, and pray that you would oversee us and that we would be able to share with one another the great and mighty things that you are going to do and have done in our lives. And I thank you for your word, which encourages us. I lift these things up in the precious, powerful, and eternal name of Jesus Christ. Amen.